With the Chase Inc. Business Unlimited credit card, you get unlimited 1.5% cash back on every purchase. It's so simple, you don't even have to think about it. So think about opening your shop early. Earlier. Don't think about the 1.5% cash back. Think about automating some of your operations. Think about delivering across town, across country, across oceans. Think about every part of your business, except the one part that works without a thought. Your Inc. Business Unlimited card. Learn more at chase.com slash inc. Restrictions and limitations apply. Offers subject to change. Cards are issued by JPMorgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. The following podcast contains explicit language. I wasn't worried about, like, being shot. I never thought about necessarily being wounded. I I never thought of a fire. I never thought about that. The one thing that just freaked me out were landmines. Being in Iraq then, there were landmines everywhere. Landmines creeped me out, man. And that always sent me into a frenzy, like a panic. And guess what got me? That. (laughs) Right under my feet. Boom. I mean, it was just so excruciating, this pain. And I started to scream, help! Life being sucked out of me. Meet J.R. Martinez. He's an actor. He's an Iraq war veteran. Hell, he's even been the winner of Dancing with the Stars. But never confuse him with the singer Seal, and definitely do not call him a hero. I don't like being called a hero. If anything, call me a bad driver because I, I didn't see the landmine. I didn't do anything heroic. I was just trying to survive. Wouldn't all of us try to survive? Like, I mean, wouldn't all of us fight? This is Battle Scars, and I'm Tom Tran. I served in the U.S. Army, deployed to Iraq, and took a sniper's bullet to the back of my head my fourth day in country. been over a decade since that gunfight, and I've told that story hundreds of times. There's still things about my life in combat that I haven't shared with anyone. And in this show, I talk to other veterans of our recent wars, and maybe put into words some of those things that we've never said about those experiences. I can hear voices. JR, how are you? I'm well. How are you guys? If you doing? don't know JR or can't picture him, that landmine blast turned his vehicle into a fireball. As a result, he got burned. Really, really badly burned. When I remember seeing my face for the first time, I was like, oh, poor me. I'm the only one that looks like this in this world. No one else looks like this. Mm-hmm. And I just remember when I got out and this guy comes up to me, he kind of whispers and he's like, hey, man, hey, hey, are you Seal? And I was like, what? No, I'm not SEAL. I was, I was just surprised. 
But this guy says to me, oh, come on, man. I'm not going to tell anybody. So I quickly realized this guy, he's not going to go away. So I just looked at him. I said, yeah, man, I'm sealed. And he's like, cool, cool, cool. And he walked away. And I was like, that was so random. One isolated asshole, right? One dumb guy who can't tell one person of color with facial scars from another. Well, it happened to JR again and again and again. So I got to a point where I just started telling people I was SEAL. Until it backfired, man. One day it backfired where this guy came up to me and he was like, oh, my God, you're SEAL. And he starts to get emotional. And he says to me, growing up, I felt out of place. And it was your music that helped me. And I was like, don't start singing a song. Please don't start singing a song. Because I only know that one that all of us know. Kiss by a rope. That's all I know. And chorus, what does he do? And he starts singing this most random song that I have no idea what it was. And because I was so deep into the lie already and I couldn't (laughs) let this guy down because he was sharing his life with me, I was watching his lips. I was like mimicking. Like I was like, ah, ah, ah. Mm -hmm. I was so deep in the lie that after he was done singing, I had to say this. I remember where I was when I wrote that song. Why would I say that? Why I, Why would I need to do it? So I, I, I do not entertain that at all. People say I'm SEAL. I am not. I am not. I am not SEAL. The injuries you can see on JR, those burn scars, they're only part of his story. Yes, fire melted his skin, but something else broke his heart. We've all heard of the Band of Brothers, not just the miniseries on TV, but the brotherhood and sisterhood that service members develop when they train together, live together fight together. JR didn't get a chance to build that family. He joined the army right after September 11th and was rushed through training. He went from basic training almost immediately to war. Realistically, I was only with my guys, with my unit for about five to six weeks before we shipped out because we left the first week of March. So you were only with the 101st for a hot minute before you got over there. Did you get a chance to become a team, figure out the guys to your left and your right that you were supposed to be fighting with, did you even have that opportunity? You know, I didn't really have a chance to to really develop that camaraderie. I didn't really have an opportunity to really create that bond that so many talk about. You know, I was a young 19-year-old private, and I was very naive. Like, I just felt like, oh, nothing's going to happen to me. You're 19 and a private. You're full of stupid hua. That's it. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what I'm filled with, man. That's all I brought to the party. I was honestly not afraid, and I know this sounds silly to say, but I really wasn't worried about being shot. I I never thought of a fire. But the one thing that always was in my mind that just freaked me out were landmines. And guess what got me? That. And I just remember one day our platoon sergeant was giving us like this briefing. One of the things was, if one of our guys is hit in a Humvee, The rest of us, we don't just rush to that vehicle to get them out. We have to set up a perimeter. We have to evaluate the situation. And then we go in. Like, we don't just rush in. Because what can happen is there can be an ambush. Mm -hmm. There can be something else in the vehicle that can set off. And now, instead of having to worry about getting one out, we have to get two out. And I stood up. Tom, you know this. As a private, you don't do this. I stood up. And I said, F that. That's literally what I said. And he said, excuse me, private. And I said, if one of my guys is injured, is hurt, I'm going to get them out of there because I would hope that they would do the same thing for me. And he says, sit down, let me explain. War is a game of numbers. That was probably one of the first times where I was like, oh my God, 
like, wow, like a life can be lost. I don't know how much you know of me. We have this weird bond because you got injured April 5th, 2003. And on April 3rd, 2003, I took the 762 to the back of the head in a gunfight. My first mission outside the wire. You went big, man. <laughs> wow. Because I, I remember everything about my day, man. You know, I remember the smells, the sounds, what the desert tasted like, what I was eating at lunch. And I remember everything up, to, you know, including the moment because I, I have it on tape, which is weird, but I'm oh Asian, so we tape everything. <laughs> but I remember every little bit of that. Same here, man. I, I remember everything. So what happened was one particular day on the 5th of April, we were asked to escort a convoy. And my sergeant for the vehicle, he said, uh, Martinez, it's your turn to drive. And I said, no problem, sir. And I jumped in the driver's seat, and we had four of us in the Humvee. And we were just clowning. We were literally just clowning in a Humvee, just kind of going through the motions, making the most. We just thought it's another mission, not a big deal. And then suddenly, boom. And what happened was the front left tire ran over a landmine. <laughs> and so essentially right under my feet. And from the explosion, it threw all the other soldiers, threw them all out of the Humvee. But yet I was trapped inside. And so within a matter of seconds, this Humvee was now engulfed in flames. For five minutes, I was trapped inside of a burning Humvee. Like you, I was conscious. I felt this extreme heat and pain coming over my body. And I started to scream or attempt to scream. There was nothing that was coming out. And then finally, finally able to squeak out a help, help. And in my mind, Oh my gosh, I was like the loudest person in the world at that time. And I was, help, help. And in between every single help, it was a gasp for air. <gasps> help. <gasps> I was inhaling all of the smoke from the fire and ultimately affected my lungs. I didn't know. I was just trying to survive. I just felt the life being sucked out of me. I can see my hands, man. I can see the skin melting off of my hands. I just thought about I was going to die and my eyes became so heavy. Right when my eyes would close, I would think to myself, I can't keep my eyes closed. Because if I keep my eyes closed, that's it. I've given up. And so I would fight to keep my eyes open. And that's essentially the cycle that I was going through for five minutes. And at, at the same time, talking about that brotherhood, I was thinking about where in the hell are these guys? I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. Everybody can hear me, but these guys that I know they're right there, they can't come to me. But again, what was happening was because of the fire, it was heating up those 7.62 rounds. It was heating those bad boys up and shooting off like a 4th of July fireworks show in every direction. So if, as you know, if they would have approached and been hit by one of those, that's it. And after five minutes, two of my sergeant, my platoon sergeant, my squad leader, Sergeant Valdez and Sergeant O'Shea, reached inside the vehicle, pulled me out. I landed on the sand and I was on my back. Obviously the sun was out and I just in my mind thought the sun is what's causing this pain on my face. And I started to put my hands thinking, I put my hands on my face to cover it. And my sergeant, my squad leader, Sergeant Valdez came in like a baseball slide, just came, slid in and knocked my hands down and said, no, don't touch your face. I kept reaching up and pulling him down and saying, my face, 
my face, my face hurts. What's wrong with my face? This man who was so tough put my head in his arms and started to rock me as if I was a baby. And the whole time he's telling me, you're going to be fine, baby boy. You're going to be okay. Hang in there, baby boy. But in this case, his tone did not support those words. And so even though he was telling me I was going to be fine, he didn't sound like he was too sure that I was going to be okay. And I don't think I've ever told this to anybody other than my producer just a few minutes ago, but I remember the moment that it happened. I also remember that I didn't come to terms with the fact that I'd just been shot, the fact that I was like a centimeter away from having the back of my head blown off. I didn't really understand what had happened until, you know, a week or two later. I'd been returned to duty and I just kept doing my job, doing my job with these staples in the back of my head with a bandage on my skull. Everybody on the base had heard about this mission that went terribly wrong and the sergeant got shot in the head. It didn't dawn on me until I took my first shower, just washing my hair for the first time and looking down at the drain and just seeing the blood come down from my head. Like that scene in Psycho where you see the, you know, yeah. the water hitting the drain and the blood just coming down the back of my back of my neck and going down the drain and i remember that was the first time that i was like holy shit like that that could have been it like that that's yeah. when it hit me really hit me yeah. did you have that moment did you have that moment where you realized the severity of it you know looking in the mirror and seeing my face and seeing someone completely different what was that like that was tough Growing up, I was, you know, people would call me a pretty boy. You know, I kind of was that dude that paid a little, you know, I ain't going to say a little. I paid a lot of attention to my looks. But honestly, the only thing I can correlate after I saw myself for the first time was that character that I used to be afraid of was Freddy Cougar. I was terrified. And when I saw myself, that's what I looked like. So there was Jr. in a hospital back in the States. His Army career pretty much over before it even started and a strange, scarred face looking back at him in the mirror. At least when I was injured, I had my team. I had my soldiers, some of whom I'd known for years, living, drinking, training, fighting with. JR didn't have any of those friends to fall back on. It ultimately affected me because I was thinking in my mind, wait a minute, I thought we had like a brotherhood. I thought there was a bond. I thought there was a, a fraternity like where you guys look after me and we look after each other, but yet you guys have not checked in with me. And I'm seeing all these other patients in the hospital recovering with me that have had their NCOs fly in to visit them, their squad leaders, you know, all these cats that serve with them. And my guys are just nowhere to be found. It really hit me hard, man. And even though they did such an amazing job to physically put me back together, there was nothing in place to mentally put me back together. Do you think if you'd had more of that, that brotherhood with, with you while you were recovering, would it have eased the pain a little bit? Absolutely. I was injured in April of 03. The guys came back from Iraq in February of 04. So I was standing at the airfield with all the wives, all the, all the family members, all the friends, and I'm standing there. No one knows who I am, really. And I'm standing there, and as soon as the guys come off the plane and I see my guys coming off the plane, I'm 20 years old, I start bawling, Tom. They're looking at me, and I just remember all of us crying together. And it made me feel like, yeah, we had all come home together. But then, rightfully so, listen, rightfully so, but once they were dismissed off into their families, I was non-existent anymore. 
I got back from Iraq in January of 2004. And I remember sitting there in my dark apartment by myself in a chair. And I was numb to pretty much everything. Nothing seemed to matter. That was the hardest part for me coming back. Trying to feel something other than anger and sadness and depression. And I found it through comedy, through laughing, through music, through playing with bands, being around other people who love the same things that I love. Back in civilian life, JR also had to struggle to come to terms with his new life and his new appearance. No one ever said to me growing up, you have an amazing personality. No, they said, you're handsome, you're cute. Look at his eyelashes. Like, that. how do you have these eyelashes? Oh, look at your hair. Like, that's what people said to me. So when all of a sudden that was taken away from me, that was challenging, man. Being 19, 20 years old, wanting to talk to a girl and knowing that I was being rejected, whether it was the truth or not, at least I felt that part of the reason I was being rejected was because of my image. That was a trigger. Being told that I couldn't be in the army anymore, that was a trigger. There were constant triggers that existed. JR's anger and frustration boiled over one night in the company of four other vets. He even freely admits that he started mouthing off. My best friend Dan was like, hey, JR, cut it out. And this dude is 6'5". He's a big dude. I'm 5'9". And I was like, you want to fight? And I wanted to fight him so bad because I was so angry, man. I was so mad at the world. And I just, he was the target in that moment. And it didn't matter that the target was huge. It just mattered that there was a target. And he didn't do anything. And my best friend Dan says to me, JR, cry, man. Cry. I'm not going to judge you. I give you permission, man, to cry. Get it out. You obviously have something built up. Get it out. Be a man. That's what he said to me. Be a man. Speak up right now. And in that moment, dude, that changed everything for me. Just like back in that burning Humvee in Iraq, when like a stubborn son of a bitch, he refused to let go of life, JR started making positive choices. He auditioned for the role of an injured vet on the TV soap All My Children. Then he competed on Dancing with the Stars, and he won. He'd been dealt a bad hand, but JR played it the best he could. Here's the irony, man, and it took me a while to get to this place, believe me. Prior to my injury, I got attention because of my looks, right? Because of my injury, I get attention still because of my looks. Before my injury, people would pause. They thought I was attractive. Not everybody, but, you know, people did. But then after my injury, it was like, People are pausing and they're looking at me. It's because of this reason. There are either some people, to be honest, were disgusted. Some people were mad curious about what happened to me. They're not accustomed to seeing something like this walk down the street. I quickly learn these scars on my face benefit me in so many ways. They're a tool chiseling away at the huge iceberg of awkwardness that exists in our society of having a, a dialogue with, with somebody. I just learned that with these looks, I know that I can get people's attention immediately. It's a window of curiosity is what it is. Within that window that people are staring at me or that window that people are actually courageous enough to ask me what happened, I can choose whether to tell them or not to tell them. 
But I choose to because I learned, wait a minute, this is a powerful tool in order for me to educate people. And I think that's important. You know, I, I'm, I'm even right now I'm wearing a hat and my daughter on the drive, because she's here with me. She's five. She asked me in the car. She said, Daddy, why do you always wear a hat? And I had to like be real with her and tell her like, babe, you know, it's because I'm a little self-conscious about the way my head looks. And my daughter is teaching me a lesson of like, no, daddy, you're beautiful. I like the way it looks. And you don't have to always wear a hat. Like everyone's unique. That's what she says to me. Everyone's unique and everyone is their own special person. And you should be happy with that. My five-year-old is telling me this. And my five-year-old has the amazing power to check me and to make me rethink and refocus my eye line because it's obviously off in a moment. Uh, I got to say that you have an amazing five-year-old to sit there for like an hour and a half. And I had no idea that you had a child with you. Like, yeah, she's, well, she's actually like in the booth next okay. to me, but she's still, <laughs> she, but the thing is, if she would, it's funny. Cause I told her and she's in there looking at me, waving at me right now, but she's clapping for me actually. I also want my daughter to be exposed to this. I want my daughter to hear all these different stories. I want her to grow up with an understanding that there's a different norm, you know, that exists in our society. And daddy isn't the only one that looks a certain way, that looks Mm -hmm. different. I know a lot of cats, and I'm going to introduce it to all of my friends that have missing limbs or, or maybe don't have physical wounds and educate her, you know? Awesome, man. Dude, thank you so much for, for taking this time. Yeah, listen, man, best of luck to all the guys and, and girls listening right now. Listen, we're here, and I think that's what we have to focus on. Don't focus on anything else. Focus on the fact that we're here, we're breathing, we're alive. Think about how many of our friends didn't make it. Don't think you're alone. Go and start talking to somebody, even if it's just a piece of paper. Find an outlet, find a space, and let it out. And, um, you know, just, just be you, man. Something you'll eventually learn about me is that I'm a nerd. Huge superhero geek. DC, Marvel, Vertigo. And of course, most people love the biggies. Bats, Supes, Spidey, even the Hulk. Yeah, they're strong, they're smart, witty, whatever. My favorite character is the Flash. The fastest man alive. Seems kind of like a lame superpower, right? He's just fast. Did you know that the Flash is the most powerful character in the DC Universe? He's so powerful that he broke the universe. He made one decision to change the past. The Flash went back in time to stop his mother from being killed. And that choice changed the entire DC universe of characters. There's no Superman, no Batman as we know him. Everything changed. But who of us wouldn't make the same choice to change one of the most painful moments in our lives? My roommate was killed in action in Iraq on December 19th, 2003. An improvised explosive device killed him two weeks before we redeployed back to the States. You don't think I'd like to change that? One of the worst days of my life. Sure, yeah, of course I would. Here's the thing. We're not superheroes, and we can't change the past. And even if we could, when the Flash made that choice, he changed the defining moment that made him the man and later the superhero he became. Our pasts make us who we are. And what in the holy hell does this have to do with anything? You want to know why my favorite character is the Flash? Because there was a point in my life after returning from Iraq, physically wounded, emotionally scarred, 
dying on the inside. I drank, I partied, and I just let life happen. Because I didn't think I had the power to make changes happen. Because I couldn't change the past. I couldn't change being shot. I couldn't change my roommate being killed. I couldn't change what led me to right now. But I could change my future. So I did. And I still do. And so did JR. JR could have decided to wallow in his own self-pity. He could have chosen to let his external scars dictate his life. He could have let his extreme injuries define who he is. But he made the decision to take control of his life. He took the harder road to becoming who and what he is today. And who he is today is a great father, a veteran's advocate, and a voice for those of us who think we don't have a voice. But we do. You have the power, just like JR, just like myself, just like so many other successful post-combat veterans. You have the power to make the most important decisions for you. You know how, and you have the voice and a place to tell your story. Right here on Battle Scars. Battle Scars is a Panoply podcast produced by Ryan Dilly, Shara Morse, and A.C. Valdez. Our theme music is composed by Daniel Dandy. The artwork by Jesse Brown. Special thanks to Andy Bowers, Panoply's chief content officer. I'm your host, Tom Tran. If you'd like the show, review us or rate us or just tell someone about us. And if you didn't enjoy it so much, oh, well, you know. <laughs>